Amen. Hey, that's right. We're once again in our workbook. Uh, maybe next week. Haha. Uh, World Religions Cults and the Occult. That's right. But we are on the fourth topic. That's right. For those of you, it rhymes with Hinduism. How many guys know what the topic is tonight? Hinduism. Hinduism. You are on the ball. That's right. And uh, we've been taking a look at what is Hinduism. Of course, that's where we started to recap as you basically turn to nowhere, because once again, we're not in the workbook. You could act like it, though. Uh, but anyway, uh, if it makes you feel better. Uh, but what is Hinduism? Of course, that's the people who moved into the Indus River. Remember, that's where uh, they came from, that kind of term. Uh, what do they base their beliefs on? These things called the Vedas. They're spiritual writings, if you will, that we really don't even know much about because they were recorded on bark and palm leaves which don't last very long, very well. Uh, we saw that as well. And they don't even agree. It's nothing at all like the Bible we saw radically, totally different. So if anybody comes up to you and say, hey, the Bible's just like any other religious book on the planet, they just told you they don't know anything about the Bible, and they certainly don't know about other religious books on the planet radically different. Then we can take a look at their history and the chronology of Hinduism and their evangelization of the West and some of the key points of that. And we're going to see some of the fruit of their evangelistic efforts for the last hundred years, folks, and it's creeping into the church, okay? Uh, and then last time we began to look at some of their terms, and I want to revisit that one. And uh, before we get into the workbook, we started a course in alphabetical order. Why? Because that's the way it's printed, Bobby. Uh, we start with Ahimsa, uh, and that was that doctrine of uh, nonviolence, right? That supposedly Mahat, uh, Magami, whatever, uh, he was uh, supposedly following, but he really didn't, but whatever. We already covered that. And that was that vegetarian emphasis. So we took a little detour. Er, let's make that noise. You guys actually did that. I can't believe it. I love this. We're we're, we're bonding. This is great. Uh, But anyway, uh, but don't don't get too crazy about it. Uh, But anyway, vegetarianism we saw there. And I believe that the Bible predicted in the last days, you're going to see these people come on the scene of all things to restrict certain food. And we saw that that's what's happening uh, very well with that as well. And that's, uh, hey, if you want to eat green beans, eat green beans, whatever. But hey, you can eat meat. Anybody want to say amen and praise God? Amen. Praise God. Okay. Uh, then we saw Asana's uh, ashram. That's their uh, spiritual community. The word for that. Avatars. We'll get into that. Lord willing, once we Lord willing, get into the workbook. Uh, that's what their manifestations of these gods. You know, which they would ha- say that Jesus is just an avatar. That's not true. We'll get into that. Bhakti. Bhakti. If you want to give uh, to my understanding, uh, uh, understanding that that's your uh, really, if you will, to use the term charismatic worship. Man, you're really getting into it, right? It's bhakti, right? That's their version of that kind of mentality. Uh, bhakti yoga. Okay. We got into that. Uh, Devi or, or Diva, that's in our vocabulary, right? The goddess, right? Uh, things of that nature, the divine, feminine, the great mother, okay? And then we talked about Diana, not Diana Wembley. Don't confuse that with her. Uh, D-H-Y-A-N-A, and that is their, okay, term for meditation, right? Meditation. I want to visit that because some people think, and you've probably already heard it, and unfortunately, I've heard it even crept in the church. Well, hey, we all know that you know meditation is the same thing as prayer. Let's make that noise again this side of the room. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? And I want to expose that. And this is some of my background in the New Age movement. But it's also called trans uh, uh, meditation or transcendental meditation or TM. For those of you who don't want to try to spell that word. Uh, is what's going on there. And that is a technique for achieving inner peace and spiritual renewal by focusing on a mantra, a phrase, okay, repeated uh, uh, over and over again, uh, and possibly silently. But as you do this, the theory is the mind settles and the practitioner is able to transcend, hence transcendental meditation, thought, and enter into a state of bliss and tranquility. Now, this is everywhere, folks. You see people, it's in cartoons, it's in the movies, it's in businesses, it's in workplace, and we're going to see it's even in churches. Okay, you get into a lotus position and you do this whole thing, and you just meditate and do all this stuff. And Okay, this is what's going on. The practice of transcendental meditation has its roots in guess where? Shocker. This is part of their evangelism package. They came over here and part of meditation and the body postures and the breathing exercise, that's all part of with yoga and things. And the whole point we're going to see is, again, to get you to bust out of reincarnation, the endless cycle of samsara, right? You're stuck in this pit, always keep coming back, trying to work off your karma, you're trying to bust out of that. That's all their techniques are designed to do. That's their mode of salvation. And one of the key elements to try to bust out that cycle is meditation or transcendental meditation. But people don't call it that, right? And then they say, well, really what this is, it's not a religious practice. No, what this is, is it's a physical benefit to the human body. And I thought about this, what's a good parallel for this, how goofy this is? This is total Hinduism is what this is. This is a major tenet of their practice, okay, to bust out of reincarnation. I thought about this, how would would the world like it, right? Christianity is basically banned from the school system, right? Although they have every other religion under there. 
Okay, and we saw that in our Islam study. 30-some pages of Islam, but zero of Christianity, excuse me. Uh, but anyway, so how, how would the schools handle it? If we showed up as Christians, we said, hey, we want to teach you this great exercise that is going to strengthen the back muscles of people, right? We call it back muscle strength. <laughs> and here's what we instruct them to do. What you do is you put your hands together like this. And what you do is you bend over. And then you repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I love you. You're so wonderful, etc., etc., etc. And then you sit up like that. Now you do that several times a day, and what that's going to do is it's going to strengthen your back muscles. <laughs> that is what they've done with this. That's how goofy it is. This is straight out of Hinduism, and it's being sold to Bill Gates. Oh, it's going to relieve you of stress and all this stuff. And there are certain physical benefits. And I imagine if you did this enough, it might strengthen your back. But it's spiritual through and through. And this is the same baloney that they've done uh, today. Now, this was uh, originated, obviously, in India, Hinduism, taught by a guru. Here's the guy who made it popular in the United States. Here's his evangelistic efforts. A guy named Mahish Yogi, or Maharishi Yogi, and uh, he got this out of the Vedic traditions, the Veda writings, etc., blah, blah, blah. He began teaching this in the 50s and has become one of the most widely researched and practiced meditation techniques. Scientific studies, though, including the American Cancer Society, because that's what they're trying to sell. Oh, it'll fit, uh, cure all these ills and do all this stuff. And it's, it has nothing to do with Hinduism. Don't think of that. Okay. Uh, but it's for your benefit. Well, the Cancer Society concluded that it has no provable effect on disease. But here's how people get snookered into this. Because they do report, well, if I do this meditation thing, then there is an element of I feel relaxed. And I gain a better self-understanding. Well, I don't know about you, but even let's go back to that analogy. How many guys, after you get done praying to Jesus, you feel better? Yeah. So just because there's a physical effect, that doesn't take away from the spiritual. It's the same thing, I'm telling you. The similarities between the practice of transcendental meditation and the practice of religious Hindu prayer rituals cannot be denied. The basic posture for transcendental meditation is sitting for 15 to 20 minutes, with the eyes closed, and repeating a mantra or a simple sound to clear the mind or thought. Okay, on the other hand, in Christianity, is that what we do? Is this the same thing as prayer? Are you kidding me? The goal of this meditation is to empty your mind. That's not what we do when we pray. When a Christian prays, we pray to who? To God, and we pray with our mind, okay? And it often includes petition. We're asking God. We're having an actual conversation with Him, right? Hinduism, again, you're repeating this mantra, this meditation, over and over and over. What did Jesus warn about in the scripture? Don't pray like the pagans. Why? What do they do? They babble on and on and on and on. As we saw before, that's the word there. Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's just like a, a, a direct a translation over. It's barbar in the Greek, right? But that's where we get the word barbarians, right? Because that, they call them barbarians because when they heard them talk, they just sound like bar, 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 bar. That's what the word means, right? And so that's what Jesus said. Hey, don't be like the pagans. Don't go, bah, rah, 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 rah. well, this is what this is. It's just repetitious on and on. Jesus said, don't do it. It's not the same thing as biblical prayer. It's crazy, okay? But when we pray, obviously, it's not on a meaningless word or phrase. We pray directly to God. We use our mind. We use intelligible words. It's a conversation. We ask of him of things, and we tell him how much we love him, etc. Plus, their focus is inwardly. It's on the spirit, and then I gain a better self-awareness. What's the Bible say? Are you supposed to focus on yourself? No, you're supposed to deny yourself right? When you focus on the flesh, what's the scripture say? That leads to death. But when you focus on the spirit of God, that leads to life and peace, Romans 8, okay? Those who practice transcendental meditation are setting their minds on their own spirit, looking within themselves in order to transcend themselves other than seeking supplication from the spirit of God. Has nothing to do with biblical uh, prayer. Searching one's own mind, emptying one's mind of all thought may result in numbness, and or a temporary escape from reality, but it cannot bring true and lasting peace. But what it will do, and we're going to see this, is it will get you into, that's right, an altered state of consciousness. Literally a hypnotic state, very highly suggestible, but also we're going to see it. It's going to open you up to some spiritual realms you don't want to mess with. Okay, been there, done that. Now, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be a part of that. Okay, I can see the world get snookered into that, but that's not going to happen to the church. It's already happening. And frankly, it's been happening for uh, years. Now, here's the phrase. Now, we're not going to say, hey, that's right. Join us in Eastern meditation, transcendental meditation. Don't you want to practice TM? Nobody you would think a Christian would ever do that. What's the enemy do, as we've seen before? He takes the same old lie. What's he do? He repackages it. He calls us something else. Throw on some Christianese. Hey, it's got to be from God. No, it's not. 
This exact practice is now in the church, except it's called by this term, contemplative a prayer. Well, well, that says prayer, so it's got to be. No. And this time that you contemplate on how, that doesn't make it Christian. It's called contemplative prayer. This is one of the biggest rages in the church in America today. And all it is is meditation. And you're going to have a spiritual experience. You push it hard enough, all right, but it ain't going to be the Spirit of God. Contemplative prayer is not just contemplating while you pray. The Bible does instruct us to pray with our minds, as we saw. You are contemplating a conversation, a real conversation with God. But that's not what this term means, and that's not how it's being practiced in the church. The contemplative prayer movement has slowly increased in practice and popularity among the emerging church movement. Okay, that if you know about that movement, and we'll get into that probably later in our charismatic thing, starting at 5,322, Tom, uh, uh, chapter. Uh, but that's a movement which embraces not only this, but a whole bunch of other unscriptural outside the Bible practices. This is just one of them. Now, the whole thing about their, this is the term, they call it contemplative prayer. It's Eastern meditation. That's all it is. But they say, here's what it is. And you begin by what they say. Here's your first step in contemplative prayer. If you want to have a genuine encounter with God, right? And they say it's called, and we're going to get into this in even greater detail, Lord one later, probably towards the end of our study here. I just want to give you a little teaser tonight. Centering prayer. This is how you start if you're going to have an encounter with God. And a centering prayer is a meditative practice where the practitioner focuses on a word and repeats that word over and over again for the duration of the exercise. Uh, what's that? That's meditation. We just read that's exactly what meditation is. This exact same thing. Now, the purpose is to, in this contemplative prayer in the church, is to clear one's mind of outside concerns so that God's voice may be easily heard. Excuse me, if we want to hear God's voice, where do we go? The Bible. And what do we see? Why are there so many different false teachings and false teachers and so much whacked out stuff in the church today? Because people say, oh, I follow the Bible. But what would we see is the fatal mistake. They go outside the Bible on experience, and that's what this is. But I got a word from God. You won't believe it. I was involved in this contemplative prayer. And as I was centering myself in prayer, I heard the voice. I don't doubt you heard something. Doesn't mean it's from God. And this is what these people are doing. Folks, you'll hear something too when you do TM. Oftentimes, we'll get into that in just a second. It doesn't mean it's the Spirit of God. And people are doing this all over the place in the church, okay? So the whole point is to get something outside. And again, I've said this before. Since when did this book become old? Why is this not good enough for us? This is all sufficient. Everything we need is right here. Why do I have to go outside of it? Okay? But that's their goal stated of contemplative prayer. Okay, and after the centering prayer, the practitioner is to sit still and listen for direct guidance from God and feel his presence. Well, when did he ever leave? God's on, we saw that in our character of God study. Intimacy, the first one, right? Remember that? He is omnipresent. He's always with us. When did he ever leave? Okay, anyway, although this might sound like an instant exercise, this type of prayer has no scriptural support whatsoever. In fact, it's just the opposite of how prayer is defined in the Bible. Again, what's the Bible say? Uh, don't be anxious about anything, Philippians chapter 4, but everything by prayer and petition. Again, it's an actual conversation with God. It's not just repeating something mindlessly over and over again. Jesus, again, clearly warned against that. Don't babble on and on and on. Ask and you will receive. So there, it in, involves an intelligent conversation. It's not trying to empty your mind, etc. It is not some esoteric mystical meditative experience it's a personal relationship remember the where you were here when i was talking to my wife you know we play all these goofy games right it's no it's a personal relationship i don't have to rehearse my speech i don't have to i wonder what i'm going to say to my wife today hmm, i better go read an article online and then i better memorize it and then i better follow this formula step by step what and this is the same thing excuse me it's true biblical prayers from the heart. It's a normal relationship with God. But oh, no, no, no. You got to do all this mystical stuff in order to get that. Contemplative prayer by design focuses on having a mystical experience with God. Mysticism is subjective. It doesn't rely on truth or fact. Because you'll sit there and you try, have you ever tried to uh, talk to somebody about this? Dude, you better, what are you doing? That's not biblical prayer. Wait, do you understand where this comes from? Do you understand it's straight out of Hinduism? Do you understand it's warmed over meditation? 
right? And they just call it something different. That's all it is. Oh, no, see, you don't understand. Because when I was in there in that center in prayer, Tom, it was just awesome. I was crying these alligator tears. And, and, and this, do, do alligators cry? Who's, who came up with that term? I just, just thought of that, Barry. Sorry, I digress. But, you know, I was crying these alligator tears and, and all this stuff. And, and, and I had goosebumps on top of my goosebumps. I heard this voice, and I started crying and weeping like a baby. It had to be God. No, it didn't. And they will choose their experience over God. And that's how a lot of people are. I'm not against having an experience with God. I appreciate having an experience with God. And there's times when I pray to God, it's not manufactured, I cry. And it's awesome and it's sweet and it's personal. I'm not against that. But folks, that's not what this is. Okay, and again, you're getting into a hypnotic state. Okay, and that's what we see. Contemplative prayer is no different than meditative exercises in Eastern religions and New Age cults that just changed the term. The most vocal supporters embrace an open... Here's what also comes with this camp. Listen to this. Open spirituality. All religions. 25% of the professing American church believes that all paths lead to heaven. Excuse me? How can you be a Christian and say that there's another way besides Jesus? I got a major problem with that. I didn't say Jesus did, John 14, 6. But this is what comes with it. Oh, you just, it's, see, it's about feeling. We just got to love. We got to tolerate. We got to accept one another. Except, what? This is, that's a major tent of Hinduism. Hey, 30, we, got, we got 330 million gods and counting. What's a few million more? Huh? That's Hinduism. That's the mindset. That's where that's coming from. Okay? Uh, and so it's open spirituality. The, the idea that there's many paths to heaven. Uh, and again, that is not something that any Christian should ever be involved in okay so that's just your meditation uh, we're going to get into that later because the more that people get into this we're, there's all there's you know prophetic prayer there's all they've broken it all down in these categories we'll get into that later but i just want to give you a little taste of how this contemplative prayer is the same thing as meditation because we're going to get into that in a little bit with yoga tonight but that's what we get from uh uh diana or meditation now we saw last time we left off with guru and that was the spiritual leader, right? And we saw, believe it or not, there's gurus in the American church today. We just, again, the terminology's been changed. We just call them word of faith teachers, right? And we even trace our history, and it comes straight out of the Hinduistic mindset, okay? Modern-day gurus, right? You're a little God. You can, with the force of faith, you can create your own reality. You have perfect health, perfect wealth. That's Hinduism through and through. And that's where we left off last time. Now let's continue on with some more of their terminology. Ishvara, uh, that's their common name for, like, Lord. Uh, Janana Yoga. That's a spiritual discipline of knowledge and insight. Karma yoga, a spiritual discipline of selfless actions. We're going to see in just a little bit, Lord willing, there is a bunch of different types of yoga, but the root is still the same, okay? The practices, we'll get to them in a second. Now, mantra, and again, a lot of these terms have already infiltrated into the English language, has it not? Right? Mantra, of course, is a short, sacred phrase. That's often chanted and, of course, used in meditation. Why? Because you keep saying something repetitive over and over again, it becomes mindless. You literally begin to tune out. You get into a self-induced hypnotic state. Why? We'll get to that in a second. Now, maya uh, uh, is their term for illusion, right? The idea that the visible world is an illusion, okay, is that term. Uh, Moksha. Now, pay attention to this, okay? Moksha... Okay, is there, basically, this is their version of a Hindu, their version of salvation. This is the goal of life. This is what it's all about. This is why you practice yoga and meditate and do all these things, because you're trying to achieve uh, moksha. It's the term described to break free, okay, break free from the cycle of birth and death. It's the ultimate goal, goal in the Hindu religion, the release from the bondage of the law of karma and make it to union with their version of a supreme being called the Brahman, okay? And again, this is achieved like this, uh, through knowledge or Guyana, through devotion, really getting into it, the bhakti, okay? Or right works, you know, don't mess it up or you're gonna have to come back and repeat it again, karma and all that stuff. And they have to do all these things to achieve this salvation, to break free of this reality. It's called samsara if we wanna jump ahead. Uh, samsara and that's basically this endless cycle man you got to do it again you got to do it again right oh no i got to work off what i did in the past life you got to do it again and the whole goal and it's just endless and it goes on forever and ever and until somehow you can achieve this breakthrough through all these techniques and, and commune and connect with the hindu deities that's moksha that's their version that's why they practice yoga that's why you got the meditation techniques that's why they got the breathing exercises that's why they're literally trying to commune with the gods because they're trying to escape and you're going to make connection all right, but it's not the Spirit of God. 
But this is the ultimate goal of that. Nirvana, we've heard that term before, right? Uh, the personal self-merging into the impersonal, right? Again, the goal of enlightenment, right? Another term uh, that's very popular today uh, is called uh, namaste, or numaste, however you want to pronounce that. And that's that greeting. Again, you'll see this in Hollywood. You'll see this in businesses and things of that nature. And I hope this never comes out of your mouth, Christian. Uh, I don't know if you guys recall this because I know you've got all my sermons memorized. Preachers can dream. <laughs> How's that song go? I don't know. I just made it up. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> you know, if you guys go on the final countdown, the original one, the 50-parter, right? you get to the apostasy, and I shared that video of this new age church, and this church trying to, you know, it's basically, you know, uh, contemplative uh, church, and they're trying to reach the culture and be like the world, and that's how they greeted people when they come to the church service was with this namaste. Now, listen to what that word means, and this is in the church, right? Uh, it's a common Hindu-Indian greeting, often used in conjunction with a small bow. You might have seen it probably hmm, do like this thing, okay? Uh, with the palms of one hand placed together, fingers up in front of the chest. With some aspects of the Hindu-Indian culture uh, becoming increasingly popular in other parts of the world, yoga, for example, uh, the use of this greeting, namaste, is increasingly popular as well. A Christian should not say or do anything that uh, originates from a different religion without realizing its meaning and origin. Here it is. The word namaste, Hindu word, can be used uh, to uh, mean I bow to you. Uh, literally, here's what it means when you're doing that. I bow to the God in you. That's what it means. More fully, it means this. The God in me bows to the God in you. That's what you're saying when you say that word. The saying of namaste is incompatible, therefore, with the Christian faith. Human beings are not gods. There's only one God, and he does not share his glory, Isaiah 42.8. Bowing or showing any sort of respect to a false god is idolatry, Exodus, Ten Commandments, hello, okay? Depending on the version of Hinduism, Hindu beliefs and practices, they're either polytheistic, many gods, or pantheistic, all is God. But that's what namaste, that's what it means. It sees everything and everyone as God. So whether you intend actually to communicate the literal meaning of namaste, it's irrelevant. Would you say this, quote, you are God, I bow to you in English? And that's what he says. So neither should you say a word that means precisely that in Hindi, Nepali, or any other language. Because that's what you're saying. Again, once again, the evangelization of the West is coming into the English language, right? Meditation is a major practice to bust out into a spiritual state Oh, but it's not that anymore. It's contemplative prayer, right? And this greeting, no big deal. Can we all just get along? And you're basically being tricked into saying, I bow to the God in you, and vice versa. Crazy, 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 but it's going on. Okay, another one is Om. You guys have probably seen it on TV. Somebody sitting in the lotus position, right? Om, Om believe it or not, is a mantra. Just, just that phrase, Om, doesn't have to be a whole sentence, Om, uh, over and over again. And it contains the, what they believe, the primal vibrations of the universe, and it's considered what's called the queen of the mantras. Now, I don't have a lot of time because I'm trying to get into the yoga thing tonight. Uh, not actually do it, but teach on it. Uh, <laughs> sorry for those of you disappointed with that. Uh, but it, Om, okay, I was, uh, before I got saved, uh, I don't know if you guys heard this story or not, uh, but uh, before I got saved, of course, in New Age, and I, I'd go to New Age conferences, and I live in Sacramento, down, you know, in Sacramento, a lot, and very popular over there in California, eclectic state. And, uh, but anyway, in Sacramento, I went to uh, uh, one of many uh, New Age conferences, and I kid you not, I look back, and I wasn't born again, I wasn't a Christian, but even there, it struck me as very odd, because I hated Christians, uh, and, uh, but this was held in a church facility. This New Age meeting I went to as a non-Christian in the New Age was in a church facility. Had the pews, had the stained glass windows, the whole nine yards. This was a church facility. Now, how we started the meeting is they gathered us all, because you had to pay your bucks, just like you go to a real conference, right? And you had to go there, and they had the guy up there at the front the podium, like a pastor, but it's a new age person, whatever. And so we're all lined up there, right, in the pews, just like a church service. And the first exercise they had us to do was this one, Om. And we just had to repeat that over and over again. It was the freakiest thing. And it was about for about 60 seconds, and everybody in the whole room was just Om, Om, over and over again. And at first, it, it, it was just kind of a, uh, a group of different ones. You could tell different tones and whatever. Something freaky happened about 60 seconds later. All of a sudden, it was almost like something went snap, and everybody was speaking it in the exact same tone. And at that point, it's just like everybody's going, and we were all connected by some sort of spirit. 
Later they had other, which would have been probably Sunday school rooms. They had these break, you know, breakout rooms, right, in the same church. And they were doing all kinds of weird mind-altering techniques, meditation, and getting into some stuff. And I can tell you some other stories with that. But folks, this stuff really works. I've been there, done that as a new ager. You follow these practices. You, oh, I feel relaxed. Yeah, you keep it up and you're going you're gonna to make a spiritual connection all right. And this is the kind of stuff that's coming in the church, okay? Uh, puja, that's their worship of deities. Uh, Raja yoga, that's the royal discipline of meditation. Uh, samadhi, that's focusing the mind on the goal of emptying all thoughts, etc. We talked about samsara. Sanyasin, that's a wandering holy man or aesthetic. Okay, uh, transmigration, the transmigration of the soul, you know, uh, through reincarnation. Uh, the Trimurti, that's the Hindu tritheistic Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. We'll get into that, Lord willing, possibly next week. And then we're going to end out on a vocabulary on the hot topic. That's right, yoga. As anybody knows that yoga is everywhere? I mean, everywhere. Even driving here in Vegas, even in our own, uh, right across from our house, it's just like these shops around. It's, it's yoga everything. Yoga this, this yoga yoga. I, one of them was like hot yoga. It's like <laughs> hot yoga? What kind of a name is that? Hot yoga, Vegas yoga, a lot of peanut butter yoga. I don't know, everything's yoga nowadays, right? It's just crazy. Yoga is everywhere. Uh, Brandy just shared with me an article. He says, with kids, they're doing this in school and six best ways to practice yoga. Help you to concentrate better in school and all this blah, blah, blah. And they're selling it. Just like with the meditation. It's not meditation anymore. It's called contemplative prayer. They're selling this yoga thing that is great for stress, relax, focus and concentration help you in your school blah 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 it is dangerous right and uh that church is falling for big time so we're going to finish up uh talking about yoga now i'm just going to give you a definition of yoga and i want to give you a definition of yoga from their own camp right i'm not making this up and this is what they say yoga is because i think that oh no it's not it's just physical exercise no it's not you've been lied to and this is from Self-Realization Fellowship, founded in, <clears throat> in 1920 by the Paramahansa Yogananda. You can look at it yourself. But anyway, this is what they say yoga is. I'm going to say, and that's it. What, it. what is yoga, really? That's the title. Check it out yourself. Now, by practicing, this is their version. This is in their camp, the Hindu camp. By practicing the step-by-step uh, -step methods of yoga... <clears throat> Okay, we come to know our oneness with the infinite intelligence. Yoga itself means union and of the individual conscience or soul with the universal consciousness or spirit. Though many people, this is their own camp, though many people think yoga only as a physical exercise, the asanas or postures are actually unfolding the infinite potentials of the human mind and the soul. It's a spiritual exercise. They admit it from their own camp. And again, all it is, is they're selling it as a physical exercise. It's not, it's spiritual. It's just, again, if you and I were to go in the school system and say, hey, learn this incredible back posture to strengthen, no, it's prayer. It's biblical prayer. They, they, they'd smell that in my way, but for some reason, it's okay to promote this. What it will do, again, you keep this up, it will get you into an altered state of consciousness. Now, it will have a physical effect on you in the beginning. Your heart rate will lower. And when your heart rate lowers, you feel better and you feel relaxed you keep it up you're going to start connecting with something else okay it is not just the physical and again i'm just reading from their own camp yoga comes from the sanskrit word for discipline or yoking its purpose was to concentrate mind and uh, the mind and lead to self-mortification to escape the cycles of reincarnation right it's a spiritual exercise. Watch their whole version of salvation. It's moksha. I got to get out of this endless cycle of here. I'm reincarnated because I'm trying to live off some karma. Oh, I didn't do good enough. I got to reincarnate again. And try. I'm in this endless cycle. I can't get out. What am I going to do? I got to, I got to, it's a workspace salvation. Now, it's not the same salvation. There's only one salvation through Jesus Christ. But to use that term, that's their version of being saved. That's the goal of life. I got to do all these things. If I practice yoga, if I do meditation, if I do breathing exercise, all that stuff, I can bust out of this and connect with the Spirit. You will connect with the Spirit. It's not the Spirit of God, all right? Now, again, it's not just with, the, uh, it's with body postures. It's with breathing, concentration, meditation, and isolation, okay? And that's, again, from their own website. So is this some new, weird, Christian, fundamental wacko? You don't know what you're talking... That's their own camp. I didn't say that. Even they admit that it's a spiritual practice. It has nothing to do with physical exercise. That's just their evangelism, uh, evangelism technique, just like with meditation, to get us to do it. 
Okay? Now, yoga as a practice has become extremely popular in the United States. On the low end, I came across some stats uh, yesterday, 20 million. I saw as high as 35 million, but listen to this. Practice yoga in the United States. 44.4% of people in America call themselves, quote, aspirational yogis, meaning, quote, they're interested in trying it. We just saw the population in the United States is 318 million. About a half of America wants to try this practice. This practice you keep pushing will open up spiritual doors, demonic doors. Half of the United States wants to open up demonic doors. You wonder why the Bible says in Revelation 9, remember fast forward to that? It says it's going to get so stinking bad that even after all these judgments from the gods, these people still will not repent. And it even says there that they also worship demons. Can you imagine our whole planet being in connection with demons? I wonder what practice they'll use. One of many, okay? Anyway, yoga is taught within all sects of Hinduism, which is taught as a means of their version of salvation. There's different types of yoga, but they all have in common that they're how you get out of this horrible mess, right? There's several practices within yoga. So yoga, here's what comes with it. Meditation, repeating a divine name, breathing exercises, performing acrobatic exercises, and trying to put one's own body in difficult postures. Okay, yoga is a method of spiritual training whose purpose is to integrate and unite the self with, again, the Brahman, the, 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 the spirit out there as well, to become one with the spirit, okay? Yoga teaches that people should attempt to yoke their uh, spirit to the uh, spirit, if you will, of Brahman, okay? And again, this is what they do. This is why it is not at all like Christianity. This is why it is a, it's not even the same salvation, but in essence, it's a workspace salvation. It's the wrong salvation, but you got to work your way to get out of it, okay, as well. It's not recommended, obviously, that you and I, Christians, practice this, since the intention of yoga is a path in order to attain salvation. It is religious in nature, okay? And this is a quote from the Yoga Journal. This is, again, their own camp. Quote, connecting the mind and body and breath helps us to direct our intention inward. Your body, listen, will most likely become much more flexible by doing yoga and so will your mind. Why? Because this is a practice, we'll see in a second, that will ultimately get you into an altered state of consciousness. Just like with hypnosis, okay? Now, he brings out the point. And this is what people, oh, I just do it for the exercise. No, you don't. Okay, that's what you're being sold to build goods. But there's something more that's going on. He says, there's nothing wrong with stretching. Stretching is very helpful for people, okay? The problem comes when one meditates and focuses on uh, the other things that are involved with yoga, and they're going to lead to a spiritual door uh, being open. And so here's the point, and I've said this before many times from the pulpit, okay? Hey, if you want to exercise, what happened to these? Oh, no, that's, apparently that's too simple. How about, I'm not going to do push-ups. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm too tired. No, but, well, there you go. Thank you, Ken. Uh, right? Did some baptisms recently. I had a workout. Corey, where you at? You got money. Why happened to that? Right? If you want to do exercise, why mess with something when in their own camp they say it is not physical, it's spiritual, and you're opening up spiritual? Why? Why would you persist? There's a billion other things you could do. Why do you persist? Oh, no, I've got to. Why would you even meddle with that? Why would you even uh, do that? Okay. Jesus is the only way to have salvation. It's not found in any other way, including Hinduism and, and yoga. We're not saved by our works. It's not a works-based salvation. There's nothing you could do to earn it through all these postures and things of that nature. We Christians are to be different from the world. I'm just quoting scripture passages to you, basically. Uh, we don't do the same thing as the world does, right? Uh, as Christians, we're to chew on the word of God, okay? Uh, and not focus and clear our minds, radically different. But what's happening is, once again, just like with meditation, transcendental meditation, TM, has crept into the church. You don't call it that because people won't fall for it. You change the name and you call it contemplative prayer. Same thing with yoga. Apparently, they weren't as creative. They only switched it up a little bit, right? They completely got rid of the word meditation and used contemplative prayer. The same thing. Yoga in the church, the movement that's going on right now, is called holy yoga well it's got to be christian said holy say come on man give me a break and this is the rage folks in the church you can go search it's all over the place okay the holy yoga or so-called christian yoga 
is the movement that combines yoga with Christian practice, attempting to adapt it and merge it with the Christian worldview. Uh, yoga, believe it, and I'm talking in the church here, well, not the first one, uh, uh, has been practiced for decades in some Catholic, that's what I mean, the first one, it's not Christian, but Episcopal and mainline Protestant uh, churches uh, for decades. Now, what's concerning, that's bad enough, because concerning in more recent years, holy yoga has made its inroads into the evangelical church. You and I, lots of them out there. Uh, and during the holy yoga sessions, Christian music is played instead of Hinduism. Well, that makes it better, right? And the chanting of the names of the Hindu deities is changed to chanting Bible verses. Hey, you chant a Bible verse, you chant a om, you chant a phrase, whatever, a Hindu deity, their name, you're still going to continue to get into an altered state of consciousness. That doesn't take it away from what's going to happen uh, spiritually. All this is an attempt to use yoga as a Christian worship experience to so-called deepen one's faith in God. It is pagan. The question is, can yoga be turned into holy yoga? No. First of all, again, yoga has a focus on self. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? Again, the Bible never says to focus on yourself. We're to deny yourself, to die to self, right? Number one. Also, we are to concentrate on God, right? Not some phrase and repeat that over and over again. Again, Jesus warned against about babbling on and on and on and on again. The intrinsic philosophy of yoga is that we have everything we need within ourselves, right? So we're self-sufficient. That's what it means to be a Christian. No, who are we sufficient on? On God, right? It's completely polar opposite, okay? And then, of course, they believe that all is God, that we are God, and you can't Christianize that philosophy. Connection with God does not come through yogic meditation concentration or the disassociation of oneself uh, from one's senses, right? Because that's what's being sold in the church. If you practice Christian yoga or holy yoga, you're going to have a special connection with God. Again, you're going to have a connection with something all right, but it ain't the Spirit of God. But the whole premise is this is the way that you can have a deeper walk with Jesus Christ, a deeper connection with him. What's the Bible say? How do we connect with God in the first place? It's through Jesus, number one. How do you deepen that? Through Christian prayer, not meditation, and the word of God. You want to get to know God? You want to know who you are? It's right here. Again, since when did this become old hat? Stick to the Bible. You can't be led astray. But oh no, this Hindu, oh, we can't call it Hinduism. Holy yoga is the new way to connect with God like never before. Who needs that Christian prayer thing? Who needs the Bible? I can do this. Or whatever you do. I don't know. Anyways, right? But that's the whole premise, right? Holy yoga depends on the false notion that breath control, body position are somehow related to spiritual and mental health. There is no such thing like that in the scriptures teachers of holy yoga promote the practice of meditation as understood as we just saw in a little bit eastern mysticism uh yogic methods of visualization controlled breathing and chanting are recommended to help practitioners clear the mind calm the body and again supposedly connect with god in holy yoga the image visualizing again they swap it out just because you swap it out you're still using the same practice right it's the same practice and so the, they they focus on the image too right and, and, but, but, of course, you don't want to focus on a Hindu deity like Shiva or, you know, Rama. That's too obvious. So what they do is they use a candle. Yeah, that makes it better. Or, or no, a cross. No, no, I'm going to stare at a picture of Jesus until I literally become mindless. That's all this is, folks. And somehow that's supposed to make it uh, Christian, okay? It is a technique for mind-altering techniques is all this. Brooke Boone, he's a prominent uh, promoter of this holy yoga in the church. He said, listen, we become more authentic by doing this. We become more authentic people able to hear God and experience him in previously impossible ways. So I like one guy says, examine what he just said. Christians... If holy yoga allows Christians to hear God and experience him in previously impossible ways, then why in the world is the Bible silent about yoga? If God loves us and wants us to know him, why didn't he tell us about this secret practice? It's because it's not true, folks. What we need is right there in the Bible, right? And why is it that Hinduism has provided us the means to become more authentic people, authentic people and to truly know God? Why would God withhold from us the best method supposedly of connecting with him and we got to turn into somebody that's diametrically opposed to everything the bible stands for and the cross of jesus christ and the only way to salvation i have to turn to that false teaching in order to connect with god in impossible ways 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's crazy. People being snookered. Yoga, with its roots in Hinduism, is a spiritually dangerous practice. It is not something that Christians should be involved with. Simply changing the intent of the practice does not negate the inherent theological problems. Holy yoga's reliance on pagan notions of man's nature is linking of physicality and spirituality. Its support of contemplative prayer and its embrace of ecumenism is all reasons to avoid the practice. Now, I said all that to get to this. It's also another reason because it will get extreme extremely dark, been there, done that. And you will bust through that barrier and get into an altered state of consciousness. And there is another world out there. It's called the spirit world. And you don't want to tap into that thing. Now, I've said this before. You guys, uh, I've warned you many times before, and I've been there, done that. I wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt. There's many different ways to get into an altered state of consciousness, a hypnotic state. Why is that dangerous? Because it's not just, hey, I'm taking a trip, man. Oh, you're taking a trip, but it's not just physical, it's spiritual. And you're opening up spiritual doors. You may not see it, but it's nonetheless real. Right? You're con- right now, do you see angels in here? Oh, it can't be real. No. The spiritual realm exists simultaneously. It's this realm, at certain times, God gives us the eyes to see, if you will, but they're nonetheless there. And so you're going to connect with this unseen spirit realm, but it's real. But there's many different ways to do it. We say, oh, well, I'm not a Satanist, and I'm not sacrificing animals and doing all this stuff and, and chanting to Satan and opening up those demons. I'm not drawing a pentagram on the floor. Wait till you, I'm going to give my testimony again on Sunday, Lord. Chanting a pentagram on the floor, conjuring up demons. <laughs> I'm not doing that. You do any of these things I'm about to announce, you're doing the same thing. There's different ways to get the job done. Now, the biggest one, and boy, is this a big problem now, is drugs. Right? I've been telling teenagers, even the Christian parents, this for a long time. Drugs is one of the easiest, quickest ways to get into an altered state of consciousness. You are being duped. You think, oh, I'm just taking a chip, right? No, you're not. Been there, done that. How many times have we got to realize this, right? And one of the biggest drugs, of course, well, first of all, we don't see any drugs increasing anywhere. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay, and what's the big drug right now that's being legalized? Marijuana. And the secular experts, not just me, Secular experts are saying, listen, you, this is a gateway drug. You un- unleash this. Man, you think we got a drug problem now? You ain't seen nothing yet. And folks, it's already happening. Right? And you're, you're you, oh, I'm just taking a trip. You're not taking a trip. You're opening up spiritual doors. Study the history. Do the history. The mystery religions. The occult. They use drugs to get you. New age. I've been there, done that. They use drugs not to take a trip. It's not for your physical well-being. It's not for your entertainment. That's the lie. It's designed to get your brain into an altered state of consciousness, and you are taking a trip, but it's spiritual. You're opening up spiritual doors. You're connecting yourself to it. Drugs is one of the classic ways to do it. Another way is through hypnotism. Okay? Hypnotism, much of what's practiced today, especially even in secular psychology, okay, is an old classic technique that's been around for a long time to get people to just flip the switch in your brain. And they can speak to you, right? Uh, and then they can have you do things that you don't do. Vegas does it just to entertain people. But that's a way to get yourself into an altered state of consciousness. Repetitive movement, repetitive speech. Okay, over and over again, your body physically, there's physical ways. You don't have to take a drug. You don't have to be hypnotized. There's physical ways that you can get into an altered state of consciousness. We'll get to that in a second. Breathing exercises, of course, with yoga. This is what it's all about. Meditation, okay? All of them, including drugs, get you into an altered state of consciousness. Once you're in that state, you just open up spiritual doors. Dave Hunt, how many of you guys remember him? Great Christian researcher uh, for decades uh, in America. Listen to what he says. He says, no one knows what hypnosis is. No one knows what goes on in the mind. It's an altered state of consciousness like yogis and witch doctors have been practicing for years. It loosens the normal connection between your spirit and your brain. And of course, if the hypnotist can control you and make all kinds of suggestions, listen, and make you think things that are happening that are not happening and make you think you have powers that you don't, experience uh, that you have, and even implant memories, okay, then other beings, if there are other minds out there, like demons, they could do the same thing. You hear me? Well, you don't understand, man. I went and, and I, I, I went to this person, and they, they put me in this regressed state, and I regressed back to my childhood, and, and I saw this event take place, and, and then that wasn't good enough. We had to go further back, so I went into another life, and, and I saw these visions of. I'm not saying you're not seeing visions. Doesn't mean it's true. Just like a person hypnotic could sit you on a, as creepy as this is, you could be in, on stage, and they think they have you thinking you're a chicken. 
Is it true? Now you act like it, and your brain, your brain's acting to that, right? So a hypnotist can do that and implant that in your brain. These people, when you go back into their past life and all this stuff, you are totally, oh, it's real, I saw it, you don't understand me. Doesn't mean it's real. It's an altered state of consciousness. He says, Sir John Eccles, Nobel Prize winner for his research on the brain, describes the brain, quote, a machine that a ghost could operate, unquote. What he means is that your spirit operates your brain in a normal state of consciousness, right? Our spirit does. In an altered state, you're not in control anymore. In an altered state, reach under yoga, TM, transcendental meditation, hypnosis, you have loosened the normal connection between your spirit and your brain that allows another spirit or other spirit entities okay, to impose themselves onto your brain and begin to tick off the neurons in your brain and create a whole universe of illusion. He said, after years of research, I believe it is demonic, and all the evidence indicates this, right? So there's many different ways that you can get into an altered state of consciousness. Now, believe it or not, folks, I believe this is happening to the church, right? And once again, we saw last time we got gurus in the church, only you don't call gurus, right? We just call them the word of faith guys, right? Uh, and some of the charismatic fringe stuff that's going on. Well, believe it or not, as we saw, what are the different ways you can get into an altered state of consciousness? Drugs. Of course, breathing exercises, repetitive speech, repetitive movement over and over again for an extended period of time, right? That's classic ways to get into an altered state of consciousness to connect with the spirit world, right? This is coming in the church, only we don't call it Hinduism. We don't call it yoga. We don't call it uh, uh, chanting our mantra over and over again. We don't call it any of those things of nature. What we call it is used all under this umbrella of being really charismatic, But a lot of the charismatic behavior, I'm not saying they're all doing this, but a lot of the charismatic behavior, especially the fringe that's coming out now, folks, it is part and parcel getting people worked up into an altered state of consciousness. And again, I am not against showing emotions during a church service. Although if Ken got up here and started rolling on the floor, we'd have to lay hands on him. Okay, I'm, I don't believe that clapping is illegal. Okay? I don't believe that if you raise your hands during the time of singing songs to Jesus, it will invite the actual judgment of God. I'm not saying that. Okay? Although I do wonder sometimes if we're ever going to clap on time. Have you noticed that? We still can't. <laughs> Who's that guy who keeps getting us out of line? Well, anyway, all right. But this is not what's going on. It's being so, and again, you and I typically are looking, oh, if you could only do the, if you could only do bhakti. I mean, charismatic worship like the rest of us and really get into it and cut loose. Woo! You'd experience the spirit of God. Yeah, you'll experience the spirit of something. And you got tricks. See, all they did was Christianize it. Remember the root? The root comes from Hinduism. Now they've even Christianized the Hindu practices and it's called charismatic and it's getting people in churches into an altered state of consciousness. Right? Man, I don't have time to get into that whole thing. All right, let me just give you a little synopsis. We're going to watch a video on this, Lord willing, later, so you're going to see it later. But anyway, basically, uh, this is called dynamic meditation. This is one of the forms of getting to an altered state of consciousness in the ashrams. Okay, the ashrams, the, the Hindu communities. Listen to how, this, this is in their camp. Listen to what happens in their camp when they do this behavior. This is a direct quote. I'm not making this up. During these sessions, it's a very strange environment. People speak in tongues. They yell. They scream. They talk in foreign languages. It's like a madhouse. It's real crazy. Everyone bounces around uh, and, and foam pads flying up in the air. This is called dynamic meditation. It's a new age combination of Hinduism and psychotherapies. Okay? This exercise involves rigorous breathing and hyperventilation, and it's designed to arouse the serpent force called the kundalini. We'll get into that later. Okay, and uh, the next phase of this, after because they got music going, right? And, and it's going, it's got this beat, right? And a steady boom, 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 boom. And, and everybody's just getting into it, man. They're just hopping, man. They're just hopping. And, it's just, and, and this is going on for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, nonstop. Okay, this is in the Hindu ashrams. This is what they do, okay? The next phase, once you get into that, and you've been doing that for quite some time, is what they call, and this is their own camp, the screaming phase of dynamic meditation, uh, you get to basically throw a tantrum like you were a little kid. By the time you get into the third phase, now after that, ah, right, then you uh, yell the word who. They pick a word. It's a mantra. And they say, who, 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 who. And they're still doing the whole thing. It's still going to music. They're still doing this, right? The whole physical exercise, the whole time, they're jumping up and down, doing all this stuff, right? And so they said this. And so you're hardly there at all by this time. It's pretty hard to remember what happens when you're there. I guess the closest thing I can associate it with is mindlessness. You get to a place where your mind actually leaves your body. 
And your body is jumping up and down, and the voice in your gut is yelling, hoo, 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 but you're not doing it anymore. Then the final phase of dynamic meditation is all of a sudden somebody says, stop! And the whole community just, and I quote, and you've just been doing 30 minutes of intense catharsis. And what happens after being in such incredibly intense moment for so long is a feeling of peacefulness and stillness. Quote, my mind actually stops and I feel a oneness with the whole universe. Now, this is as far as I can get. We're going to have to close. Let me alternate. Let me do a parallel of, quote, much. I'm not saying everybody's guilty of this, but I think people don't realize what's being done to them because they don't know Hinduism. And they don't know that they've been evangelized here in the West for 100 years and just changed the terminology. Much of, you go to some so-called worship services, and it's tit for tat what I just described to you in a Hindu ashram. Quote, Hindu followers, the first phase was uh, to begin with a form of repetitive movement combined with music over an extended period of time, right? Music, right? Some church services today include people repeatedly running around, jumping up and down, swaying back and forth at the beat of so-called worship music for an extended period of time. In fact, some of these services, it's way all on worship, which I'm not against worship, but it's a little on the word of God because they want an experience, and you're going to get an experience. The second phase, the Hindu followers start to speak forth in a repetitive phrase or a mantra over and over and over and over again until it becomes mindless, as they're still doing all this. Right? Some church services today include people speaking forth in a repetitive phrase or a so-called unknown language over and over again, or the music, the chorus, is repeated again and again and again and again and again. And again. Interesting. Third phase, the Hindu followers are starting to shout repeatedly over and over again as a way to further release themselves from reality. Some church services include people shouting and yelling and screaming over and over again to, you know, let it all hang out. Prove that you're a true worshiper of God. Ah, you don't care what people think about you. You're just letting it all out. The fourth phase, the Hindu followers finish with this occultic mind-altering procedure with a sudden ceasing of all activity. Stop! After all that catharsis and that physical effort, and you feel a oneness with the universe. Quote, some church services include people after a prolonged period of repetitive movement, repetitive speaking, repetitive shouting, put to music, then they are told to be, shh. The Holy Spirit is in this place. Can you feel it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It ain't the Spirit of God. Part and parcel, been there, done that. This alarmed me when I got saved at a new age and as a musician myself, I go, you got to be kidding me. People in church services are being schnookered into an altered state of consciousness, and I have no doubt that you're connecting with the Spirit. It doesn't mean it's the Spirit of God. Okay, one more quote, and we got to close. Because we're on yoga. Let me come Carol Matriciano will probably watch this video. She said this about yoga. She said, I returned to India and had the opportunity to interview yogis who trained their followers through various physical and mental exercise, and I questioned them. This is, again, in their own camp, right? about yoga's transformation. I asked the Indian experts if they practice yoga, the pra if the practice of yoga could be separated from its Eastern spirituality and used as physical fitness only. So she's in India asking the gurus. Today in the West, one guy, he responded, there's about 35 million Americans into yoga and they see it just as a physical fitness. Yoga is a Hindu word. It's a Hindu discipline. It means become one with the universal consciousness, i.e. Brahma, the Hindu God. The word yoga means union, uh, and it's as simple as that. The purpose of this union is that they think there's a powerful kundalini force, satanic force, we'll get into that later, Lord willing, at the base of the spine, which is the coiled serpent, and the idea is when this union takes place, the serpent down at the base, have you seen pictures of the chakra thing, right? They're sitting in the lowest position, and it starts down here at the base of the spine, and then it goes up until the very top with the, the third eye, if you can remember the pictures. Well, the, the, you have to first unlock the bottom one, the, the kundalini, the serpent force, and it raises up and gets into your mind. Okay, that's, that's what that's about. So listen to this. So there's a powerful uh, kundalini that they believe that you need to unlock, uncoil, and release through the third eye. Uh, the third eye, of course, is uh, indicative of the goddess, uh, god Shiva. Now, in Hinduism, the serpent is a prominent deity. Uh, many people worship the serpent. I've seen many snake temples or serpent temples in India. If you look at the picture of Lord Shiva in Hinduism, you see a snake wrapped around his neck. They believe that the serpent power is in every person and the serpent power is sleeping in you. Listen, by practicing yoga, they awake that kundalini power in you. Actually, kundalini, he says, is the name for cobra. And when the kundalini power is awakened, it goes up into the brain and is an awakened in psychic power. 
right? And he says this, when the spirit of the kundalini is uncoiled, there is a movement, uh, a body-like serpent movements. If you pay attention to some of the asanas, the postures in yoga, it's, it's mimicking the snake is what that. Because, and to them, the snake god, which is Satan, is a good thing. He says, I don't think we can separate yoga, the practice of yoga, from the spiritual into just a form of exercise because every form of yoga movement derives from the serpent. Listen, and there's a root behind it. This is the Hindu in the camp. And there's a serpent, and the root behind it all is the serpent force. And so when a person practices yoga, listen, he's actually bowing down to the god of the serpent. Satan is cunning, isn't he? And it's in the, I can see the world because they don't know better. In the church? And she closes with this, and we'll close. In most cultures, the serpent is seen as a positive creature, worships for its wisdom. Only in the Bible is the serpent described as creator God's enemy, a usurper who wishes to take God's rightful place in the mind of mankind. In Hinduism, he's called the kundalini and believed to be able to be awakened through yoga and meditation and grant the practitioner an awareness of God, a stillness, a God consciousness. And what was the lie that, that the serpent did to Adam and Eve? When you do what I say, you will become like God. Same thing going on today. Just repackaged. It's called yoga. It's coming to church. Lord willing, next week you want to be here because apparently Barry is a prayer warrior. I think we're going to make it into the workbook. What do you think? Okay, let's close the prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. 
And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless